Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. What's up, y'all? It is hot as balls outside. Well, I guess it could be worse. It was like 106 yesterday where I work. That's insane. That's like people walking down the street bursting into flames insane. Uh, So I thought it was perfectly appropriate that we should do uh, a little episode on summertime emergencies. Now, summertime in my world is busy. I think it's just because everybody is like out in the world. They're all out. They're walking their dogs. They're on their vacation time. So inevitably, you know, dogs are going to get foxtails in their noses. They're going to attack each other. They're going to (laughs) fall into ravines and break their legs. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. And they're all going to come to my ER. So, you know, originally I was thinking I could cover a lot of these topics all in the uh, all in one episode. But then as I was putting this together, I was like, damn, we are busy in the summer and we see a lot of different things. But there are definitely like there's definitely a summertime theme. So uh, what we'll do is we'll we'll kind of cover a big one today. Uh, we'll talk about heat stroke today. But then what we'll do is we'll cover a couple other uh, emergencies over the next uh, month or so that also happen in in the neck of the woods that I work in. It, it varies depending on where you are. There happens to be rattlesnakes where I work. And so we see rattlesnake bites in the summer. Oh my God, that's a crazy thing. That's something I saw maybe once in the five years I was at my old hospital. And now we see them, I mean, a couple times a month, I want to say, which is scary. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, For those of you who are not from California, we will talk a little bit about foxtails, which is the bane of the dog owner's existence in the Bay Area during the summer. In California, in general, during the summer, they just blow around and raise hell everywhere. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Emergency Summertime. It is a groove slightly transformed. 
just a bit of a break from the norm. You know, it, Will's not really far off with that. I feel like the summer is, uh, I mean, it's busy, that's for sure. But we do see different things that happen in the summer that don't really happen in other times of the year. Now, living in California, I feel like what I'm about to talk about could happen year-round because we're super, super lucky and our weather is super, super awesome. Um, West Coast got the most. So what I'm going to talk about first is heat stroke uh, or heat exhaustion is, is another way that you can refer to it. Now, this is something we absolutely will see uh, in hotter parts of, the, of California. Like I just saw somebody's freaking Facebook post said that it was 115 in Palm Springs. That's nuts. Uh, but heat stroke can happen, you know, in like 70 degree weather, 80 degree weather. I think that's a lot of times why heat exhaustion is maybe a better way to think about it because it can happen with overexertion. Uh, it can happen with uh, with with things that have nothing to do with the weather. They could happen in a hot car. You know, hot cars can heat up crazy high really, really fast. Um, also, dogs that have bad anatomical conformation, like, you know, a bulldog or a Frenchie, you know, they can't, they can't breathe. And breathing is how dogs uh, dissipate a lot of their heat. So if you can't dissipate your heat, then you're going to overheat really easily. So let's start by talking about uh, normal temperature for dogs. So we take temperatures rectally much to their chagrin. And they read somewhere between 99.5 to 102.5. So it's a fair, I mean, fairly large range, you know, relatively. Uh, it, it does change with environment. It changes if they're super nervous. You know, you have these little tiny shaking chihuahuas uh, that'll come in. And if they're really crazy excited and they're trying to bite your face off, their temperature may be like 103, 103.5 because they're just like so wound up and nervous. If you're like bringing in your dog from from uh, from a snowy day in New York City into your general practice veterinarian for vaccines, that dog's temperature might read a little bit below 99.5 because they've just come in from, you know, the snowy outdoors. So there is some variation in there. That's okay. Uh, the heat exhaustion variation that I'm talking about means it's going to be high. Like it's going to be like 106 to 108. Um, I've heard of dogs getting as high as 109. Um, I've never seen that. I think the highest that I've ever seen is like, 107, 108. Uh, what happens is their bodies are heating up faster than the body can dissipate that heat and it damages tissues. Uh, it can happen fast. Uh, there is a, the first real case that I can remember uh, seeing uh, as a veterinary technician was a lady who was walking her pit bull in Tilden Park and it was like 85, 90 degree weather. So hot. Um, it took like maybe 20 minutes and the dog collapsed and was panting incessantly. And this tiny woman carried this like 75 pound dog half a mile back to her car and drove her to her hospital and saved her life, uh, which in itself is kind of amazing. And I'm surprised we weren't treating her for heat exhaustion by the time she got there. Uh, another horrible thing that I didn't even think about, but that I just read about recently is that dogs can get heat exhaustion from grooming dryers. Oh my God. Cause you know, those things that sit, they hang on the front of the cage. Like sometimes if you go into a pet co and you hear just that machine humming vacuum sound. And there's like all these tiny little white fluffy dogs that are all with these dryers attached to the front of their cage. Well, if the groomers like 
forget that they're in there. They're just blowing hot air into that cage, into a metal cage. And those dogs can die of heat exhaustion in like moments, which I've never even thought about. What a horrifying thing. I'm so glad I've never seen that. Um, Dogs that are overweight, they can be susceptible to uh, heat exhaustion. Absolutely. There's also uh, weird ways to get heat exhaustion that can be complications of anesthesia. There's something called a malignant hyperthermia. Uh, That's a frightening word pairing, Uh, but that can happen to human beings as well, where you have this bad reaction to anesthetic drugs and your body just goes and just shoots your temperature high, 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 high. Um, I think that they maybe don't know exactly why that happens. It's probably some kind, I mean, it seems like some kind of inflammatory response that the body is having, but, uh, a lot of times it's totally idiopathic. Like we don't know what causes that and why it happens in some people or some animals and not in others. But once that starts, it's really scary. So usually it's, it, it can be genetic, um, with people. I'm not as sure as if, if it can be genetic, uh, with dogs or cats, you know, I know that Pigs are prone to a malignant hyperthermia, which is interesting because that's kind of the test animal for human beings. And I think a certain type of anesthetic gas called halothane can cause that malignant hyperthermia in pigs. And we don't really use halothane anymore in a veterinary setting. Also, if your brain's not working right, if you've got some kind of intracranial disease and your brain isn't able to activate the mechanisms that cool your body off properly, that too can be a factor uh, with heat exhaustion. Like if you think about when you're outside and you're sweating and you're hot and you get flushed, um, like those are all reactions that your body is having because there's signals that are going through your nervous system to those parts of your body that tell them vasodilate, make sweat cause evaporation to cool you off. If those things aren't happening, uh, then you're going to overheat from the inside really quickly. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, about those things, about those things that your body does. So vasodilation is when you get super red in the face. Like if you're, if you're a human being and you're hot outside, uh, your blood vessels will dilate to, uh, to dissipate all of that heat that's going on. You'll see that in dogs. They'll have uh, injected mucous membranes. Sometimes the insides of their ears will be really, really red. Uh, they also have uh, an evaporative, evaporative heat loss. And that's what humans do when they sweat. But dogs, they do sweat somewhat, but it's not their primary form of cooling. What they do is they pant. So when they're panting, they're getting rid of the heat by evaporating th- evaporating that fluid through their mouths. So they're actually, they're losing quite a bit of fluid when they're doing that too. Uh, but that's, that's what you're going to see m- with with dogs when they're overheated is these bright red mucous membranes they're panting like crazy like it's like i mean it is literally like as like it's faster than a normal dog pant like i know you see dogs panting sure and like you know sometimes we get these funny phone calls in the middle of the night my dog is panting sometimes it's a thing sometimes it's totally not a thing panting and heat exhaustion totally a thing and it looks different like it's scary it's like super super quick like hummingbird panting um a lot of times these guys they are laterally recumbent like meaning they are unresponsive they're panting like crazy but like the lights are on but nobody's home like they don't have like what we call a menace response you're flapping their your hand in front of their face and they are not reacting at all like they're just not seeing you um their heart rate is really really elevated um that's another way that your 
body's going to shoot blood all around your body and cool your blood volume off is by making your heart rate go up. So a lot of times these guys, they have this, these very, um, we call them thready pulses because their heart is working so fast and it's getting so tired. And of course their rectal temperature is really, really high. And that's that 106, 109 um, numbers that we'll see. So now what happens? So your body's going crazy because it's overheated. The first thing and the most concerning thing is a coagulopathy. This is the thing that scares the bejesus out of the veterinarians and veterinary technicians who are presented with these heat exhaustion dogs. So there is a vascular damage that can happen, a thermal damage when they're overheated to the blood vessels and the endothelium of those vessels uh, gets destroyed. Endothelium is a wonderful word endotheliums are your friend. Uh, It's what keeps the blood in the vessels. It's a little cellular lining on the inside of the vessels that keeps us alive. If that is damaged, then your blood vessels get really leaky. Uh, And the body uh, reacts by trying to repair all these leaky vessels by shooting clotting factors all over the place and trying to like stem the flow. It's kind of like, (laughs) pardon the expression, like the little boy in Holland with his finger in the dike, (laughs) that kind of a thing. So that's what your body is trying to do. But inevitably, by doing that, it's using up all of those clotting factors because it's happening all over the body. Like thermal damage, it happens all over. So imagine you only have, your body only has so many reserves in the immediate blood volume of clotting factors and of platelets. And if they're all used up at once, all of a sudden you don't have those anymore. Now what happens is you have all these clots all over your body and you don't have any more clotting factors in your blood, this is called disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC. I think I may have mentioned DIC before, because the other thing that DIC stands for is death is coming. <laughs> You'll hear people say that. It's real bad. Like if, if an animal goes into that, oh, you got to think long and hard about the work that you're going to continue to keep doing. Now we check for clotting times uh, to make sure that they're do- that they're going okay uh, by filling a blood tube that has a blue top. So you'll hear veterinarians will be like, "Fill a blue top tube, check for clotting times." Um, we're checking in in our hospital. We have two tests that we run in house, so we get the results right away. Uh, it's called PT and uh, APTT, and it stands for prothrombin time and activated partial prothrombin time. And those are tests for clotting factors that we can do in the hospital. And if they're within normal range, hooray! Um, if they're not within normal range, then that means that we have to do different things very, very quickly. Uh, probably give fresh frozen plasma, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the other thing that can happen to your body is it can suffer kidney damage. So renal damage is a biggie with these guys. Um, because they're so vasodilated, hypovolemia is a problem. Uh, it means that all of the blood is, isn't where it's supposed to. It's not in the vessels anymore because it, they've dilated, because the endothelium is damaged, they're leaky. So low blood pressure uh, can cause kidney damage. There's also, if that's happening, if they've got the leaky vessels, then that means that DIC is starting to go into effect. And those little microclots that the body is forming all over the place trying to fix itself, they can plug up renal tubules. Renal tubules, they are a beautiful and delicate thing. And that, it, and they, uh, they can get damaged by large 
particles, like by large, um, big things in the bloodstream. Um, big things, big to them, would be a microclot that your body made trying to repair a blood vessel that's then shooting around the vascular system. Um, the other thing that can be a big thing that hurts it is uh, myoglobin. So when your muscles are, are damaged, like if it's heat exhaustion, like say... Um, say your dog was running around in Tilden Park in 90 degree weather, his muscles are just exhausted and they're panting a whole lot. It takes energy and muscle activity to pant that much and that hard. Their muscle tissue can start to literally break down. And so when that happens, they get, uh, myoglobin is a, is a, a protein that it can get can be released into their urine. And when that happens, it means that that myoglobin is getting filtered through the kidneys and sometimes their urine will be brown or even red. Uh, and that the kidneys have to work really hard to get that, uh, to get that all through into the urine. And so that can, that can damage them too. Um, total side note, there was a thing that I learned about in tech school called, um, red water disease or Monday morning disease. And it was with racehorses and it was when they would work the horses like crazy, 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 crazy over the weekend. And then they'd race on Monday, but they'd work the horses so hard running around over the weekend that on Monday morning, their urine would be red. And that was because they had damaged the muscles by working them so insanely hard over the whole weekend that they had the myoglobinuria. They had the myoglobin in their urine. Not great for racehorse kidneys. Um, your liver, your liver is also going to suffer damage during this same reason microclots. Um, it also, uh, they can actually, your liver can get like cellular necrosis, um, from thermal damage. Your liver is where you store a very valuable thing called glycogen and glycogen is converted into glucose. Glucose is what powers the world. <laughs> glucose is the, the sugar that you use in your body for energy. So if your body is using up all of its energy, uh, panting, and uh, and running around like a crazy dog in Tilden Park in nine degree in ninety degree weather, then that means that all of that glycogen reserve can be used up. And when that happens, uh, your body's going to start to metabolize other things in your liver, like the fats in your liver. That's not great. That can cause damage. Um, they can actually come into the hospital. These guys hypoglycemic, uh, which means that they've used up all the sugars in their body, and then you have to give them intravenous dextrose in order for their body to have energy. Uh, to keep their organs alive. Uh, gastrointestinal issues, that's another one. That's a big one. That's a messy one. So inevitably, the nurses know it's coming. When these heat stroke dogs come into the hospital, they have the worst hemorrhagic diarrhea, just bloody, mucus, awful diarrhea. And the reason why that is, is because your guts... Your intestines are where there's hella tiny vessels. And remember how we were saying your itty bitty vessels are leaking all over the place. Well, that's a big, that's a big place in your body where those are, they're leaky, they're dying. Your gut mucosa can slough off in your diarrhea. So good CCU nurses where I work when we have these heat stroke dogs that come into the hospital, they make their beds up in the CCU, um, with lots and lots of disposable bedding. Cause they just know that if it hasn't happened yet, then it's going to happen. And what really sucks, well, as if it didn't suck enough already, what really sucks about that is because their gut mucosa is sloughing off. What it means is it compromises the intestinal wall and you have 
hella bacteria chilling up in your intestines. And if your gut wall is perforated, um, it can release bacteria where it's not supposed to be, which is in your abdominal cavity. These guys have a really high potential for sepsis um, on top of all the other damage that's already happening. Uh, now, we talked a little bit about um, the central nervous system already, but uh, if these guys can have, I call it brain on fire, like their brain is literally on fire. Um, it, they can have cerebral edema. They can come in in a totally obtunded state where they're completely unresponsive, but their body is still there. Like their body is still reacting, panting, 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 and red, 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 red with vasodilation, but like no mental response at all. Like no, like the dog that was is not present. Um, it's not to say it can't come back, but it does mean that you have to treat the organ of the brain like you're treating all the other organs of the body and try to fix that as soon as you can um brain swelling is a big one if they've got neuro you know they the neurons can be damaged just like the the cells of the endothelium or your blood vessels can be damaged by the heat so can the neurons in your brain uh they can also have seizures because of that so we do have to take care of their minds as well now i've mentioned acting fast before you definitely have to act quickly. Um, these guys have a high, what we call morbidity rate, uh, which means that this, this, this degree of heat stroke, when they're getting up to like the 108, 109 degrees, oh, that's a really high percentage, like up to 50% of those dogs don't make it out of the hospital. So you have to be quick. Um, the first thing we're going to do is try to lower their core temperature. So you can do this a couple different ways. You can soak um, towels in about like lukewarm water, not like cold, cold water, because you don't want to be like shocky cold, like you're shocky hot. Um, so lukewarm water is good. Uh, you can also use like the sprayer on the sink. Ugh, I've done that before. Just spray dogs down. Now you're monitoring their temperature this whole time. So until the temp gets to 103, you can keep doing it. Now, for those of you who've been listening carefully, 103 is still above normal because 102.5 is kind of where we like to end the normal range. But these dudes can't regulate their own temperature at all. Like the body is like, I give. So you can't cool them off too much. Like if you get them all the way down to like 100, they're just going to drop, 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 drop. And all of a sudden you're having to do heat support on the heat exhaustion dog, which seems really weird, but that totally happens. I remember uh, the first one that this Tilden Park one that I keep thinking of, the first one I ever saw, that's exactly what we did. We actually took like these clean cat litter boxes and we're just pouring um, water over this pit bull while she sat in the center of the room and just put all these towels and blankets around us so we wouldn't be slipping around as we placed uh, IV catheters and whoo, monitored her for hours. So big thing as well is IV fluids. Uh, IV fluids are what's going to give you your organ perfusion because your blood is all in your tissues, all in the wrong places, and your hypovolemic, low, low blood pressure and organs die without their oxygen. And what carries oxygen? blood. So uh, in order to get their blood volume going around, you want to give IV fluids. But you know, I think you don't want to be too crazy because if you're too crazy bolusing those IV fluids, that could also make their brain swell if it's not swelling already. Um, so you have to be careful with it, but absolutely that's going to be your friend. Uh, oh yeah, fresh frozen plasma. We, we, we touched on this earlier. So 
what that is, is it's plasma that is donated by other dogs. It's the separated from whole blood. So whole blood is your red blood cells. And then you've got the rest that's not red blood cells, white blood cells, clotting factors, um, proteins in your blood, globulins, platelets. Uh, so what we give is a fresh frozen plasma. We, it's stored frozen. So it lasts longer. We thaw it out and we give it through a filter, uh, into the dog's veins and it helps with um, clotting times and it helps get get rid of that terrible well it helps to avoid DIC put it that way because we can give them we can give them some of the clotting factors that they've already used up uh, through that plasma it also helps with blood volume too because it's uh, what we call a colloid so crystalloids are uh, regular fluids like lactated ringers and saline, um, but colloids are a much thicker fluid. You could think of it that way. Volume expander is sometimes what you'll hear, uh, but the colloid also gives a good volume to the to the blood supply. So that's going to be your friend. Now, speaking of your blood, blood pressure, that's a big one. So you want to monitor blood pressure uh, they might need drugs. There's vasopressors that we can use to keep their blood pressure up and keep those organs perfused. Uh, norepinephrine is a newer one that I'm using pretty regularly right now. Boy, that sucker is cool. It's just like tiny little amounts of that drug and burp, their blood pressure can, can really go up quickly, sometimes too quickly. Uh, we'll usually try to have a dedicated line for that infusion. Like that's the only drug that's going in that particular IV catheter. And we don't like to disconnect it because the effects of it are so immediate that like if you're dialing it up and down or it's, it's fluctuating for some reason because you're turning it on and off, um, that can mess with how consistent your blood pressures, uh, your, your blood pressures are. There's another drug called uh, dobutamine that we also use. That's one that our surgery department really likes to use intraoperatively if our surgery patients' uh, blood pressure is dropping. These guys usually have multiple IV catheters. And so you've got options as far as where you're going to put your drugs, where you're going to put your fluids. Central lines would be awesome in these guys, but you know, because they have uh, coagulopathies, putting a big ass needle in one of their big ass veins might be a little risky. So you'll probably initially end up with a bunch of peripheral ones, which is totally fine. Like just put a peripheral catheter in every leg. Totally cool. I feel like that is there. There ain't no harm in that. Um, and that way you've got lots of places to put your fluids, lots of places to put your fresh frozen plasma, lots of places to put your drugs. And speaking of drugs, antibiotics. Ooh, Lord, do you need antibiotics? Because remember that whole gut bacteria happening that, that we were talking about earlier, like bacteria chilling in your guts and then migrating into your abdominal cavity? Right. So what you want is to prevent sepsis from that. And you can do that by giving antibiotics. I remember a doctor saying as watching this dog uh, at my job I'm at now have just horrific diarrhea in the cage, just like just tissue clots, just awful smell, cleared the room, bad diarrhea. Um, and this poor dog that's barely conscious. And he's like, whoop, that's what I forgot. Let me sign this guy up for some antibiotics. <laughs> so that's a thing. Um, we're also going to monitor their urine output because their urine output is going to tell us how well their kidneys are working. So these guys have a urinary catheter, um, which is cool. Because, and it's another factor of dealing with critical care patients is that you get to do a lot of cool stuff. So you've put in like a bazillion catheters and then you're going to put in a urinary catheter as well. 
Uh, you have to know if they're making their urine output that they should be making, which usually is around two mils per kg per hour. So we'll uh, empty the urine bag every couple hours and measure how much we get and then compare that with the weight of the animal. And then we'll know if they're, um, if they're having an adequate urine production or not. As far as their mental status goes, there's a drug called Manitol that we'll give for brain swelling. And it's a, it's a large, uh, it's like a sugar. Anything with an OL at the end is usually a sugar thing. So like, you know, Manitol is one. Um, the other one that, you, that, uh, that you'll uh, give for toxicities with charcoal sometimes is Sorbitol xylitol. We did a whole episode on xylitol. So mannitol, mannitol is your friend. Um, you give that intravenously with a filter because sometimes you'll have, uh, it's one of those ones that crystallizes at room temperature. So we'll keep it in the incubator and keep it all like reconstituted like it's supposed to be. Uh, but you give it with a filter anyway, just in case there's some crystals that are bopping around in there. Uh, but it, what it does is it draws fluid into, uh, into the vascular system and out of the tissues. And that can help with your brain because your brain is swelling the tissue where your brain is swelling, but if we can draw that fluid all into the vascular system, then it can be processed through the kidneys and urinated out. So that's what we try to do with mannitol. You can save your dog's life if you think that they have heat exhaustion. Do not delay. Uh, if you think that your pooch, like if all the factors line up, like, boy, I was running my lab next to my bike while I biked around Lake Merritt in 90 degree weather, and now he won't get up and he's just like panting, 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 and uh, he doesn't look right, save your dog. Take him to the vet. But you know what you can do as well? And I actually just read that this can really increase their odds of survival. You can cool them off on the way to your vet. Soak some towels in water, not freezing water, but like, you know, lukewarm water and lay those wet towels over your dog and drive to the vet. And you, because what you're doing is you're already taking down their body temperature on the way there. Don't delay your trip to the vet. Um, but I, I did enjoy this study that I read that said that they could greatly decrease uh, the morbidity rate of dogs by having the owners do some cooling on their way to the vet. Uh, now, if you wait, that's not great. The more time you delay, the more severe the damage is. First 90 minutes, that's the window. Um, and I feel like if you're working with a good team of doctors and a good team of nurses, I mean, we can, it's all stuff that nurses can do. That's the other cool thing about these cases is they're all things we know how to do. Like we can put in catheters, we can put in urinary catheters, we can draw blood and check for clotting times, start fresh frozen plasma, do the IV fluids, cool off the dog, monitor temperature, monitor blood pressure. It's a lot of work, but it's all stuff that veterinary technicians can do to save the lives of the animals. Bad ass. Speaking of bad ass though, kitten season is kind of on the tail end now, but it gave a, I was going to say gave birth. Perfect. It gave birth to a perfect venipuncture of the week. Oh. Hey yo Nelly, this is fire. What are you talking about girl? Let's make it hot for the clubs. This is fire. Oh. So I thought that this Vaynerpunkture of the Week was like no contest. Like I knew when I saw uh, this this IV catheter go in, I was like, boom, that's going to be it. Uh, we have been working with a lot of kittens lately because there is a kitten season, uh, the spring 
the season of life. And uh, during the kitten season, we see a lot of kittens with diarrhea. That's just how it goes. Uh, we had two that came in with real bad diarrhea. They were weak. They were... Oh, you know, as far as sick kittens go, they wanted to eat, which to me always means, oh my God, they're going to live. Like if a kitten, a sick kitten wants to eat, that's like 99% of the battle. So we were able to feed them. They just were just fire out the butthole, pooping it all out. So we did want to get them on IV fluids. Now I do have to start by saying these two kittens, they were like a quarter of a kilogram. They were so tiny, tiny. And uh, I was working with my uh, colleague, Sarah Porterfield, who works a swing shift in uh, CCU and then also won an ER. And so she helped me with these two kittens, um, or as we refer to them as the shittens, because that's all they did for their entire hospital stay was poop on us. Um, so what she did, so with these kittens, when they're so small, um, we will sometimes use their jugular vein as uh, the place for their IV catheters because the other veins in their body are just so itty bitty that you just can't get to them, and especially sick kittens. So we tried that. We tried getting uh, IV catheters in their necks, but the kittens were like not having it. Cause you know, that's what babies want is needles in their necks. And so we were saying to the doctor, we're like, we need sicker kittens in order to do these treatments. These kittens are fighting too hard. And so we, we didn't want to stress them out. Uh, so in a kind of last ditch effort, we were like, you know what, let's try to get, let's see if we can just get in these little tiny, you know, thread veins. Let's see if we can get a catheter in their front leg, like a normal cat. Uh, I tried fail. And then Sarah Porterfield gave it a whirl. Sarah P. Here she comes with this teeny tiny catheter in this teeny tiny kitten leg. And my God, it went in there. Much to the kitten's chagrin. I feel like Kitty was like not really having it, but it was easier for that kitten to tolerate uh, having its leg messed with and having its neck messed with. Um, but it's still like, you know, it's such a scene, right? Because it's like these two grown-ass people with this kitten that could fit in a freaking, you know, like shot glass, basically, wrestling It's wrestling with this thing, trying not to squish it. And, uh, and, and trying to get it on IV fluids. It's like trying to, it's like a, like a evil beanie baby. That's then also trying to poop on you at the same time, which is a good defense mechanism, really, when you think about it. So that without any doubt that that catheter that went in that quarter kilogram kitten, uh, is absolutely the vein of puncture of the week. Kittens did fine. Uh, the the shittens went home without any complications. They did great. Uh, we got an update from that. Uh, it was a rescue group that had those kittens. They said they were growing like weeds. And so uh, they'll be adopted out. They'll do great. Well, you did it. You survived another episode of Cat Disgusted. Um, I will be back with more summertime tales. So we'll do a couple more on this before the summer's out. In the meantime, um, keep your dogs cool. Keep your kitties cool. And we'll see you for the next episode. Please remember, don't come see me at work. Thanks, guys. Sweep it in my bed. Sweep it in my bed.